Hello, everybody, and welcome to Frankenstein's podcast, a creature feature podcast about monsters and why we love them. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Praska, and with me, as always, is... Your other host, Khalid Hussain. How's it going, Khalid? Oh, I'm groovy, man. How are you? Oh, great, great. I'm glad you're back to groovy again. <laughs> Stop paying attention to me. <laughs> uh, with us today, Khalid, is a very special guest, Emmeline Mousseau. Uh, Emmeline is a certified life coach, movie junkie, and TV fanatic. Thanks for joining us, Em, and actually coming back to join us, and I'll get get to that in a moment, but uh, thanks for being here. Oh, thank you guys for having me. It's really great to speak with you guys again and just kind of nerd out with people who love movies and horror as much as I do. <laughs> yeah, it's it was a fun conversation. So we briefly mentioned on our last episode that just dropped uh, that there was a lost episode we had a we had a recording snafu when we tried to record with you before, so we're super lucky that you were willing to come back and do this again with us. So thanks thanks so much for that. Oh, anytime, anytime. I mean, I was honestly so upset that that episode got lost, but it's cool because now this one gets to be a bit more broader and you know more in depth, and we get to talk about two movies instead of one. <laughs> no, it's our double feature. Double feature. Yeah. So, uh, M, since the last episode didn't didn't air, um, I'm still gonna ask you our guest questions. So. You already, you already know the question, so I'm just going to jump right into it. What is your favorite monster in all pop culture? Uh, my favorite monster in all of pop culture is Frankenstein's creature. Um, I just think that this is a greatly um, misunderstood character. And, you know, it took me 14 years from the first time I read the book to realize that the cautionary tale wasn't about men playing God, but... It was um, it was a PSA against being a deadbeat father. <laughs> yes. You know, you can't just abandon your kids because they're ugly. Yeah. <laughs> Everything that happened was a direct result of Victor Frankenstein's abandonment of his creature, not the creation of his creature. I love it. You're perfect for this podcast. That's why we, like, I mean, we chose Frankenstein, Frankenstein's podcast, our namesake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we also hate deadbeat daddies. Yeah. That's our official stance. <laughs> Down with deadbeat dads, hashtag. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to say vampires, but I just felt like that was way too broad. And I have a love-hate relationship with the vampire genre in its current iteration anyway. So I thought that was a much more specific answer. Our other question is sort of what uh, what do you what's on your geek card? What do you feel like you're most geeky about or passionate about? What's your what's your kind of your thing? Well, besides life coaching, um, I'm, I, I geek out about music. Music is like my number one love, my first love, my greatest love, my deepest passion. Um, I feel like music is a universal language. It's probably one of the better, better ways that humans have learned to communicate with each other. And there is, for every occasion, every situation, and every emotion that's ever been felt, there are at least five really appropriate songs. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a do you have a specific genre that you are tend to be drawn to the most or are you kind of just an all every any kind of music type person i'm a very very eclectic music listener honestly the only types of music that i can say hard and fast that i i i think are bad all around with very very rare exceptions if any are acid rock and marching band music Everything else goes. <laughs> interesting, interesting. I was in the marching band. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to go through that. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. <laughs> uh, M, have you have you heard the new Bruno Mars Anderson Pac song yet? 
No, I haven't. I'm okay. So I'm one of those people that's really, really late to things <laughs> that are really, really popular. And when I was a kid, this was unintentional. You know, I didn't have money for CDs and tapes, and yeah. we we couldn't we couldn't afford cable, so I I couldn't watch music videos, and I rarely had money for me and my sister to go to the movie. So I always just found out things or caught on to things much later than my peers. But as an adult, an adult on social media, this is something that I've done willingly because I like I like to Im- immerse myself in things when I have like space to really let my emotions settle and not feel pressured to feel one way or the other by the hive mind or feel like the well is being poisoned and I've already been biased to a particular way of feeling. Right. So like you want to avoid about, the discussion. Yeah. Right. Like, and sometimes I just don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about how I feel. I just want to feel what I feel and then go on with my life. <laughs> and like, I feel like we live in a, in a culture where everyone feels a lot of pressure to not just have feelings and marinate on their feelings and filter through their feelings, but also share their feelings with other people. Mm-hmm. And like, do we need to feel to share everything that we feel, every single thing we feel with other people? Like, is that necessary? <laughs> Can I just feel things? <laughs> I mean, according yeah. to the internet, no. <laughs> Everybody has to have a take, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I like, I remember. I got on the Bruno Mars bandwagon. I don't even know if it's, I'm on the bandwagon. I like five of his songs. <laughs> but I got, I I started listening to him long after everyone else. And I remember the first time I realized that this man is really talented. It was in, I want to say the late 2011 or late 2012. He performed at the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show. And he sang that song, Young Girls, I think it's called. And he, but he sang, he sang an acoustic version of it. And the version that he sang at the fashion show is actually better than what's on the album. You'll, you can probably find the performance on YouTube. But I was like, this is incredible. So then I kind of went through that entire album that he had put out at that time. And I was like, okay, I think I'm a fan. I don't like all of his songs, but, you know, the talent is undeniable. Oh, most definitely. I was just going to say, like, if you're like, I'm, I'm kind of in the same camp where, like, I'm not really, like, tied to any genre, but this one, like, felt like a funky, like, throwback to, like, uh, just, like, the, like, groovier tracks. So uh, I think they're making a whole album together, but the song that's out now, the single, is uh, Leave the Door Open. Um, whenever the discourse has died, do yourself a favor and check it out. Yeah, I definitely will. Um and I mean, people are like, Bruno Mars is back. And I'm like, hasn't it only been like two or three years since his last album? I I think we do ourselves a disservice too by like pushing artists to put out a new album every year or every six months. Let those people breathe. Let them suffer a little bit so they can have good attention <laughs> for the next album. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, our attention span is criminally short as a as a people. Right. Like I, some people just make really good music when they, you know, when they have time to like breathe, like a, like Frank Ocean, or or like when they're really struggling with something, like Alanis Morissette. When she's happy, she makes terrible music. I mean, yeah. So take that, Alanis. You need to, <laughs> you need to get some pathos back in your art. I'm just saying, when she was engaged to Ryan Reynolds, she put out her worst album. Alanis Morissette was engaged to Ryan Reynolds. I had no idea about yeah. that either. Man, so, what a body count. Him and Dave Coulier. He's been, with, he, wow. he's been with so many people. But yeah, he was engaged to her. Then he left her and married Scarlett Johansson. Then left Scarlett and is now married to Blake Lively. 
Wow, both of them. Body counts. Wow. That's the trajectory. Wow. But there's like there's like a an article that I saw like a month ago and it lists like every woman that Ryan Reynolds has ever been with and everybody's on there. I think I think even like um what's her name? The blonde from Third Rock from the Sun. She was one of his exes. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. Like, That's people really you funny. can imagine are on this list. People you would not <laughs> expect are on that list. Van Wilder really, really took him places. I'm assuming they were all Van Wilder fans. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. some of these pictures are from before we even knew who he was. <laughs> I honestly, I, at this point, I just assume I was born knowing who Ryan Reynolds was. He's just, like, so pervasive. I'm a staple at this point, isn't he? <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he fell into a niche. He fell into a niche, and then he just rode that to the bank. Is he our Ted Danson? I think he's our Ted Danson. Yeah, I think so. I, I think that's, I feel, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Kind of Ted like Danson a in MCU films, obviously. Yeah. Oh man, he'd be a really good villain, actually. So feel free to steal that, Feige. I know you listen. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Good. That's a that's a that's a good spot to transition, Khalid. Given our Rex to Feige, I like it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what what do we uh, what do we got on the docket today, bud? Uh, you want me to do both of them at once? Do both of them. All right, so we got ourselves a double feature today, y'all, so you're welcome for that. We're talking two movies for the price of one podcast. Uh, The first movie we're going to talk about is The Meg, and that was directed by John Turtletob, and it was released uh, in 2018, and our homeboy Google is going to hit us with the synopsis. It goes a little something like this. Previously thought to be extinct, a massive creature attacks a deep-sea submersible, leaving it disabled and trapping the crew at the bottom of the Pacific. With time running out, a visionary oceanographer recruits rescued diver Jonas Taylor to save the crew and the sea itself from an unimaginable threat. A 75-foot-long prehistoric shark known as the Megalodon. Dun-dun-dun. Uh, <laughs> And our second movie is going to be the film Underwater, released in 2020, directed by William Eubank. And that description goes a little something like this. Disaster strikes more than six miles below the ocean surface when water crashes through the walls of a drilling station. Led by their captain, the survivors realize that their only hope is to walk across a seafloor to reach the main part of the facility. But they soon find themselves in a fight for their lives when they come under attack from a mysterious and deadly creature that no one has ever seen. What a monster! They're creatures of the abstract that live off potential energy. It's alive! I, I really appreciate it, Khalid, the uh, sort of like soothing cat meow background to your uh, description. So thanks for that. Wouldn't it be messed up if I didn't even have a cat? Like I just like, got like cat <laughs> recordings. Just, like, just, just playing that? Yeah, like I just Google pictures of cats <laughs> to put on Instagram and like just lie to everybody. This is my Norman Bates moment. <laughs> Oh god. You could have just told every other oh, audience that those are just phantom cat noises. Like oh, they were man. like a ghost in the recording. You don't know how they got there. Uh yeah. I, you just always had a cat ghost in your house. Yeah, we really should make this podcast spookier just to go with the theme. Yeah. Anyway, Khalid, based on your uh, your description, we should start with the movie The Meg. So let's just uh let's just kind of begin with like some some general thoughts, uh likes, dislikes. Um um, why don't we start with you, Khalid? What'd you think? Did you like the Meg? Okay, for going likes and dislikes, uh, 
liked the dinosaur shark. Awesome. It was uh, a cool threat. <laughs> it, uh, it, it, this movie's like shiny and sleek and stuff like that, like really easy to see everything. So that was kind of refreshing compared to Underwater, which we'll get into. Uh, mm. So I liked all of that. Uh, dislike. The, the black guy that is an oceanographer or whatever he is doesn't know how to swim. Uh, I feel like... <laughs> a mess. <laughs> I just... A mess. I don't know, like, you know they had the discussion of, like, is it is it just self-aware enough and ironic enough that we can do it? And I'm here to tell you it was not. It was a, it was a very frustrating thing to see. Uh, you work in an underwater base. Uh, don't do that if you can't swim. I just don't. That got me upset. So that's my big, that's my big dislike. There's a couple little dislikes here and there. Um, uh, I didn't love that they didn't stick to the base that long because that seemed like the coolest thing. It seemed like a lot of, like, I guess in general my complaint uh, boils down to the tension was inconsistent within the movie, and so it robbed a lot of the stakes for me where it just felt like the shark just kind of came and went whenever he knew they needed to be in danger. Uh, but, yeah, overall, you know, it was okay. It was, I, I would recommend watching it once. So, yeah, I'm... I'm Probably more lukewarm on this than underwater, but I wouldn't say it's like a terrible movie or anything. Right, right. Mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. What did you think, Em? I actually really like the movie. I like sh- I like shark movies. I like killer whale movies. I have like a perverse fascination with ocean danger because, like, I I don't know. Part of me probably is 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 like is a little self-righteous because I'm like, that could never be me because I'm not going in there. <laughs> so it's kind of like, it's kind of like, a, you know, watching a wreck from afar or like if I'm in like my, my condo on the beach and I'm looking through my binoculars and I'm seeing everybody get eaten in the ocean, but I'm safe from my, from my condo. It gives me that kind of a thrill because the threat feels very real, very true to life. I'm sure there is a big shark or shark that's big enough that could wreak havoc and watching it on screen just makes me feel really really safe and obviously no actors were hurt in the making of the film so i get to have my little rush um i thought the the dinosaur um the dinosaur shark was a really good fit i don't think they per- they portrayed him big enough or maybe other shark movies have like spoiled me like shout out to the shallows starring blake lively <laughs> that shark was mm-hmm. a mess um <laughs> I feel like other shark movies have have spoiled me. I wanted the shark to be bigger. I wanted the oceanographers and the marine biologists to all know how to swim. Um, But I did think that casting Jason Statham was great for two reasons. He does action really well. And he's a former Olympic swimmer. So, you know, you can't go wrong. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. Fun fact. What? Yeah, I think he won the silver medal for England once. Dang. I know it was probably before his acting career, but I would love if it was like between, <laughs> like I, I wish it was between like transporter movies. Like we're all just at <laughs> home watching like the Olympics, and then we just like squint. Like is that is that Jason Statham? <laughs> is, he, is, he in the, is he in the butterfly race? What? <laughs> oh, so like getting someone who can swim and swim very very well to do this type of a movie i think was like a one great call we love it we like it we love it um 
but yeah, he's like, yeah, he's like, uh, he's a diving and he was on, he, he did, he was a diver and he was on Britain's national swimming squad for 12 years. Oh. Um, and he competed for England in the 1990 Commonwealth Games. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So he had a whole little career as an act, but you know, you can't do that forever because the Michael Phelps of the world are just being born at that time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wonder how he just like fell into acting from that. That's so interesting. I think it's that face. He kind of looks charming, kind of looks scary. That's a good face to have to be a lead. Yeah. Is he like the British like equivalent of Frank Grillo that way, where he's got like a grimy action thing going? He's also just super cut. It's all that swimming, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. he is, it was impressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, he, yeah, you have to be in shape to do what he does, because I think he does <laughs> yeah. a lot of his own stunts. Um, and I, I, they said that he used to play football, AKA soccer when he was younger as well. Mm-hmm. So I don't even know how he fell into acting because all roads were leading to professional athlete, <laughs> <laughs> but, but having someone like this in a role like this, it's, it's, it's just believable. I was like, okay, we get to see him in the water. We get to see what's, what's happening. Um, this is one of those movies that I wished, I wish the American market wasn't so anti- a lot of Asian and Asian dominated films because I feel like films like The Meg and The Wandering Earth didn't get the amount of marketing that they deserved in the United States. Yeah, I could kind of see that. I did see that this is the highest grossing US-China co-production of all time though. So it's still pretty high, but it's still like nowhere near like some of the major blockbusters that we get over here always. Right. I mean, this was yeah. made a lot of money, like something yeah. like in the 500 millions, right? I think so. Yeah, I think you're right. So the movie, the movie had some, 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 some really big faux pas. Like Khaled said, the, 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 <laughs> the shark only showing up when we're in the most danger was super con- conveniently inconvenient. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, I'm in a little bit of danger. The shark could come out now where I have a chance to like run to home base, but no, mm-hmm. he's going to show up when I'm stuck and when I have nowhere else to go. <laughs> I think, I th- so that, that piece of it, I think like. It, it reminds me of like an old style B movie, like the ones from kind of the seventies or the eighties where like the premise and like a lot of things that happen are just absolutely ridiculous and absurd, but everyone in them is really playing it straight. Like, like everyone in this movie is playing it super straight, except for, I think Rain Wilson is kind of feels like the only one who kind of acts like he knows what kind of movie he's in. Like everyone else is like, this is a really serious feeling movie. It feels like, and, and it's like, and, and that's, that's a kind of B movie. I think we don't see as much anymore. Cause like we get the Sharknados where it's all like over the top, you know, self-aware and kind of a little too much. Like this feels, this feels like almost classic in that way. I don't, I don't know if it entirely worked for the movie. Like you said, it's kind of like, kind of eye roll it sometimes but uh, i think i think that's what i kind of think that what might be what they're going for with that and I, I... right right and i mean i think i mentioned this the first time we recorded good bad films um on mm-hmm. youtube and that's part of what makes them great as well is that everyone else is taking the movie much more seriously than the audience ever could yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> like i'm just watching this i'm like i wonder if they knew when they were filming this movie that this was about to flop I wonder. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, definitely, like, actors know for sure, like, on set when they're, like, in scenes and stuff like that. Like, after a certain point, they get a sense of if it's going to be a good or bad movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish they'd have had more of, like, uh, inspired in with, like, the B-movie, like, self-awareness energy without being, like, full Sharknado. I wish they'd have given this more of a Fast and Furious sensibility where 
all the characters would have played it straight, but the scenario would just get more and more outsized and insane. Like, I wanted one of them to, like, sh- like somehow, like, proj- like, project a jet ski into the monster space <laughs> or something, you know? Like, I wanted it to get, like, balls to the wall crazy, and it just never got there. Like, we kind of start to get that at the end when he's in his little... Uh, it looked like uh, uh, my roommate Eric uh, set, uh, brought this up, but he said that the, the little like submersible he uses at the end that looked a lot like Qui Gon Jinn's spaceship in the first Star Wars. Uh, so I'm gonna just call it the Qui Gon ship. Like we got a little <laughs> bit, we got a little bit of the like crazy action of like a guy against a giant dinosaur shark uh, at the end there, but for the most part, it's a little too paint by numbers uh, how they do it. Yeah, it's for me. I I got a lot of Jurassic Park vibes, like or Jurassic World vibes, like the newer one where that they just kind of feel like they're kind of phoning it in a little bit more. I think if they had done it like in a Fast and Furious style, or they had just made everything like Sharknado esque, it might have been a more fun movie because then we would have had the same issues with these plot holes, but they would have seemed less like holes holes and more is just part of the the absurdity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like they couldn't quite decide which way to go with it, so they're kind of in the middle. Right, and then when you try to do both, you end up doing nothing. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm totally with you, Khalid, about the about the base piece. Like that, the base scenes were my absolute like the the part where like the little girls like has that uh, robotic, I don't know, colorful ball that she's driving around, and then the you see you the, the little the girl shark. that tells her entire family's business to a stranger. <laughs> Yeah. Within yeah. minutes of meeting them, that yep, little that one. girl. That one. And who, yeah, that who one. also low key wants her mom to get some. That kid was. Yeah. That the very same. Yeah, that I one. Can, I can handle a. I can handle a precocious <laughs> kid, but that was a lot. That was a yeah. lot to drop on us. Especially yeah, she, she doesn't play much of a role after no, that, does she? No. No, but she's in that scene though. My favorite scene where she she's like trying to get the ball and then the shark shows up and like tries to eat her through the glass but of course doesn't because it's kind of a family friendly movie in a sense, but that that oh, scene yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that scene when the shark shows the up there. Like, this is PG-13. I can't do yeah, this. Yeah. So cool though. That was that's the we need more with the base. That was the by far my favorite favorite aspect. Like when they were in there on the surface, like I think it was probably more realistic and like that they were able to like shoot more with like real water because they're like on the surface, but Maybe maybe it was a budgetary reason. Yeah, I like those scenes as well. I could have done less with the kid with boundary issues. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the base scenes were, I think, some of the best. Um, but because I am a diehard Jaws fan, the best movie score ever, by the mm-hmm. way. I love the scenes at the beach as well and everybody like running for their lives. I don't think it's a real shark movie if you don't have people on the beach running for their lives. It's just not real to me. <laughs> Yeah, the beach, the beach scene was solid. That's true. The beach scene was good. That was good. They set it yeah. up like really like I, after a while, it got funny to me that somehow people weren't seeing the shark, which <laughs> I think was a I think that was a part of the joke too. Like at, at, it stops being suspenseful and kind of gets funny when like all you have to do is look down and none of them are, even though they're swimming. Um, yeah. And yeah, I love the base stuff. Um, honestly, their base is like cooler to me than the one in underwater and that's why it loses points they don't utilize it more um it also i don't i just i never felt like i I kind of brought it up i never felt like that urgency with the megalodon until like they were kind of ready to see it again and i don't know like the whole time i was just like 
is the Navy going to get involved? Or, like, I know they're in international waters, but, like, somebody else? Like, why is this on them? Just because they, like, are near it? Like, they're the closest to it? Oh, my God. Questions that need answers. (laughs) (laughs) Enough time passes for, like, somebody. Like, Rain Wilson gets a team with explosives to him. So, Clearly, like, even if you just got, like, a naval officer and a helicopter and he came and, like, oversaw it. I know that's not the movie they were trying to tell, and I'm not trying to go, like, full CinemaSins or something on this movie. It's just, the whole time I was just like, why is this your job? Like, you're not, you're not shark hunters. Right, right. And, again, the only people on Earth. I'm sure if any military of any country in the world knew that there was a prehistoric shark about to devour Anybody that steps foot in the ocean, they would help you. They they would like you know do a GoFundMe for grenades or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this feels like a this feels like a real easy like political win for like anybody who comes in and solves it. It just pretty clear cut. Like there's a there's a villain and there's people to save. Get in there. Um, do you guys know much about like megal- megalodons in real life? No, I mean in history, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> No, um, yeah, I see. I, mean, I, I, I drive past them on the PC. PC yeah, see, you, the see, time. you see a few. You see a few out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, the one in this movie is supposedly 75 feet long. I did a little bit of research into some of the, like, history of it. And, like, so, so based on, like, fossil records, the real megalodons lived about, like, 15.9 to, like, 2.6 million years ago. Um, and they actually, I think the estimated longest one was actually only 59 feet, which is still a big shark. Um, but it's also believed to have the most powerful bite of any creature that's ever lived, which is pretty, pretty wild. And, and they, and they were found on like every continent except our Antarctica. So they're, they're everywhere. So it would be kind of not a great time to be, be around and even do anything in the ocean. I mean, just, just, just for the sake of clarity, that 59 foot fossil is just the biggest that we found. So that's exactly, like the biggest yeah. that we know of. And it's not even a complete, um, it's all based on teeth. Like they've only really found teeth and like mouth. So they're like estimating like, oh, proportionally it should be this big. So we have no idea. The movie took some liberties with it though. They're like, oh, let's go and like pump it up a little bit. And uh, they also like, I, I read something the concept artists of this movie had to kind of like, they based uh, they based it off of like what scientists might think the megalodon looked like, but they also mm-hmm. had to sort of um, they had to be a little creative. Like they're like, how could these um, these creatures who've been locked off from the rest of the world, how, if they were to have evolved over those many years, how how would they look now? So they kind of mm-hmm. made them look more modern, a little bit like more like just a bigger great white. Cause like, oh, it evolved to look closer to what uh, makes sense evolutionarily, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And- I agree with all of the design choices. I'm not gonna lie to you. It looked pre, it looked prehistoric enough that you're like, uh, mm-hmm. I've never seen this on National Geographic before. But mm-hmm. it, it was very clearly supposed to be a shark, and we clearly got that impression. Um, I love, I love the this idea of dinosaurs coming back to life, especially like vicious sea monsters, um, because. You know, I live in a place where we do have modern day dinosaurs. In South Florida, we have alligators and we have crocodiles. Um, and what I, I'm not sure what what people think those are, but if you've ever seen a photo of one, it's undeniable. <laughs> it's undeniable. And so, if someone said, like, listen, in this cave or in this sector of the Galapagos, there's like a 30 foot alligator, I would believe it. <laughs> <laughs> 
because <laughs> I've seen how dangerous the ones we currently have are. So um, I, I, I don't put it past anything. And I think that there's certain layers of the sea that we're not supposed to go to. And that's why we need special equipment to go there. If we could, should naturally be there, we wouldn't have to put on special equipment to go there. Um, I think I said this on the I'll take it one further, Em. I'll take it one further. <laughs> there are no layers of the sea that we are meant to go into. Um, as, soon, <laughs> as soon as we figured out how to skip that in transit, we should have just let it be. But here we are, tempted fate every other day. I mean, yeah, like high key, we evolved out of the the single sail celled water uh, specimen for a reason. Um, Earth Earth is our domain. We we have thrived in places with soil. <laughs> um, but no, I I think I said this on the last episode. I think I want to I want to reiterate it again. Um, I feel like the Earth is like a Russian doll, and when you each layer, there it's it's more. Uh, primitive and prehistoric and deadly and dangerous than the next. We haven't even begun to scratch the surface of how deep we could go into the ocean. Who's to say that those trenches, you know, like the Mariana Trench, for instance, aren't the grooves that open the next Russian doll? I don't want to know what world is inside of there. Keep that closed. (laughs) We can barely deal with the stuff that we do know about. Oh yeah, we can't we can't handle like twisters, uh, like just on a bureaucratic level, like just responding to a twister or or an earthquake is like a whole all hands on deck, like everyone's freaking out. I do not want to know what happens when kaiju level animals start like coming out the ground. Right. right. I mean, and think about think about South Florida. We have alligators and crocodiles and sharks and water moccasins and all of the poisonous snakes of the southeast. Think about Australia. They've got that, you know, plus uh, spiders. Uh, I mean, are, are we not suffering enough? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if there's one thing about humans, it's that we can always suffer a little bit more. Um, but you know, the Meg two, the trench is in development right now. Just an FYI. I heard that. Yeah. It, you know, these are based on books, right? What? I did not know that. Yeah. I they're did based not know on that books. or I would have read them. The first one's called the Meg, a novel of deep terror by Steve Alton. And there, there's like six of them. And so Jonas in the book is like a marine biologist slash paleontologist. And in the in the sequels, they like discover like a like a prehistoric ocean somewhere underneath something. They discover other like giant prehistoric creatures like Chronosaurus and Leopleurodons, and and then like Jonas and his kids in the in books like start to like tame them, and and it gets it gets sounds like it gets wild. But I'm kind so of there intrigued. There is a world under there, like yeah. Atlantis, but vicious. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but the I beans, will yeah. say, uh, Joe and I talked about it because uh, we were texting through the movie. I really like the reveal of the second Meg uh, when uh, when they've caught the first one, which I was surprised when like the poison worked and like the whole time I was like, I've seen this before. Like they think they gave it enough poison, but all it did was make it go to sleep and then they're going to like hang it from the ship and while they're talking and getting comfortable and like looking at its mouth, it's going to like wake up and it's going to eat him and the threat comes back. And that's, I was waiting for that. So when the second Meg just free willies over the boat and like rips his buddy in half, like that was a really cool reveal. That was a great scene. And I'm, I always kind of felt like there's gotta be more than one, right? He hasn't been alive all this time, just chilling all by his lonesome. In my defense, they specifically called the movie The Meg. I would not the Megs, 
I, I was <laughs> right, right. I saw no, no, that's, one that's shark true. and I was, it was like, intentionally it. misleading. It was yes. intentionally misleading for sure. Yeah. Made a fool of me. <laughs> speaking uh, of fools, Khalid, should we uh, should we move into uh, move into underwater? I don't know why that's speaking just, of fools. Could, yeah, I was going to speak everybody was foolish. And we yeah. know that. I just always have to have a transition, and and they're always you know pitch perfect, so I'm gonna stick with it. Um, yeah, fair yeah. enough. No notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what did you get? Sorry, all right. Um, just for the sake of time, I guess. What uh, uh, highs and lows, likes, dislikes of underwater? Um, Khalid, why don't you go? Uh, you know, loved it. I rewatched it this morning, just so it was fresh in my head. Um. Uh, and I, after watching the Meg, I realized I would have loved if we had a little bit more time with the characters that we follow in underwater. Like I wanted to see the base when it's not in ca- uh, catastrophe mode. I wanted to see, uh, Kristen Stewart just be allowed to be happy for a second. Cause she is so put, like beset upon in this movie. Uh, so I do kind of wish that we had that, but I also understand that probably because of budget restrictions and the story they were trying to tell, it probably just didn't work without uh, just belaboring the point. So, uh, I mean, that aside, the movie rocks. Like, it's it's a very, as realistic as an unrealistic situation like this can happen, I love how, how committed they are to trying to ground it all. You know, the water is grimy and dark, and when they're out there, uh, you you see what they see, which is not much. So like a lot of the times, it's reorienting yourself uh, in these action scenes, and that could be a recipe for just a bad like scene. But uh, props to the director; he's able to keep the action coherent even when you're not necessarily like spatially aware of everything. So that was cool. Uh, the cast dynamic is really good. They do a a great job of giving each character like a spotlight of uh, humanity and character characterization so that it means a little bit more when they uh inevitably pass on from like one horrifying thing or another and the thing that this had uh the meg beat on for me outside of actually utilizing the environment in a way that uh was like germane to the story um the tech the tech is also working against them it's actually it's got a leg up on the thing in that sense even in the thing like when uh, they are in roughly the same scenario where it's like a hostile uh, environment and a creature that they have no preparation for. They still more or less like everything works how it should for them. Here, they're in a more hostile environment and their technology is short-circuiting or, or exploding with them in it uh, all the time. And it just adds such a like extra layer of like anything could happen that's so cool uh Kristen Stewart like that's uh, I didn't pick up on it last time but that scene where she just like uh is by herself in that one base and just like crying and stuff like that like she really does a lot of work to like uh bring emotion to something that is so snappy and like this thing happened now this thing happened now this thing happened she manages to find the space in there to like still get us to like care about the character on a personal level and yeah i i still like it it's still good check it out yeah yeah khalid that's you know, great points i think is it so this movie is interesting it's um we're, we're pairing this as a double feature with the Meg, but it's a, it's it's very different in, in tone and in, in different ways. Like I feel like the the interesting thing is so the Meg is 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 very silly and 
feels like not grounded in any sense, but it's still based on a creature that did actually exist. This is these are creatures that are completely made up, completely fictionalized, but feels so much more grounded in that sense. In in some sense, like it feels more lived in. Like their the Meg's base was sleek and shiny and felt like it felt more unrealistic and more sci-fi. And this one, like I felt like that was like that could be what a real real like deep sea oil rig in like a couple of years might look like, or like, like it, like it, like it's working class people down there. Kind of, I mean, it's, it's base. I mean, it pays homage to alien in a lot of ways. Like in an alien, they were like working class folks on returning from a mission. And this is the same kind of thing. They're just, they're just people doing their job down there. And they're not like trying to make the next big discovery. They're just trying to do, do their, their gig that they're hired to do. So right. I, I love that. I love that aspect. And and everything's, and everything's grimy. Everything feels used and old and not updated. And, and just, it looks it's like a really it cool touch. Yeah, it looks oh, like the base would smell pretty bad. Uh, yeah. I do want to say just because I brought it up when we recorded this the first time, T.J. Miller is in this movie, and the official Frankenstein podcast stance on that dude is screw him. Uh, <laughs> he uh, uh, there's a lot of accusations you can Google yourself about him, and a lot of stuff that he actually just outright did, and he just doesn't seem like a good person. So I was bummed that he was in this movie, but. Uh, if as long as it's not triggering, he doesn't deter from it. Uh, I would recommend watching this movie uh, if it's not a trigger to have T.J. Miller in it. Yeah, yeah, he does kind of suck. Um, but he, yeah, he's kind of a a little bit of toned down of T.J. Miller than we normally see. Yeah, thankfully restrained is how. Yeah, I would restrained it. is a good yeah. way. So yeah. I told, did I tell you guys about the bunny thing? No, yeah. What about not bunny? this time? But oh, that's right. This time, the lost episode, the bunny thing. So he has. So T.J. Miller's character has this stuffed rabbit he carries with him the whole time, and he just he treats it with such care. It has a name. They hand it off. So the the actors had thought, and then in a few scenes they actually shot with an actual rabbit, and they thought that it was going to be digitally altered to be a live rabbit the whole time that they're just going to have a real rabbit traveling with them in the mission, but they never <laughs> did it. And they just kept in the stuffed animal. So he's just like so carefully caring for the stuffed animal rabbit because TJ Miller, like in real life thought it was a real, thought it was going to be a real rabbit. <laughs> I like it. I like it better as a stuffed rabbit. I kind of do too. I like the story yeah. with it. <laughs> I just don't bring animals down there to what would purpose. Be, like, yeah, that's, that's a poor choice. But uh, yeah. And what did you think of this movie? I felt a lot of the same things that you felt. I felt like um I felt like even though these creatures were made up as far as we know, um <laughs> that underwater was much more rooted in 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 a sense of reality, a sense of of uh continuity, um you know, the they knew, the writers knew where they were going with this, the actors knew where they were going with this. It felt like a more serious movie. It felt more lived in all of that stuff. Um I really think the performances were great too. Honestly, my only real gripe with Underwater, this is something that I love in books, but I don't love in movies because books usually give us a time and space to resolve that problem. I love it when books start off immediately with the action. I don't like when movies do that. I like to, if there's any relationship between our leads, I would like the the, the relationship and the bond established before the action. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it, it, it would have gone a long way. Like you get hints of it, like the relationship she has with the captain, but she doesn't even know the black guy at the beginning of the movie. So like, right. the, like when he dies first, I mean, again, the other movie, the black guy can't swim and this one, the black guy dies first. I've got problems. Uh, but I do wish that we were able to get some kind of like camaraderie or dynamic there that would have like lent some more weight to the deaths. Mm hmm. 
And that actor, the the black guy, uh, Mamadou Ethi, he was he's a really good actor too. He's in uh, the Black Box on on Amazon Prime from Bloomhouse, and that and that was my favorite of those Bloomhouse movies. But I thought he was like so good in that movie. He he deserves more. Right, I thought he was underutilized as well as Vincent Cassel. Um, he plays a captain, but I thought he was underutilized. I don't think he spoke enough. I, I don't think he got enough screen time because it was one of those things where those relationships were hinted at the people who did know each other right in mm-hmm. underwater the relationships are hinted at but they were never really developed so like as the audience we we care about seeing all of these people survive obviously but we don't know why they care about each other which it kind of left a disconnect yeah they like try to make up for that with like a couple of lines that help you kind of infer like uh when she first sees the captain and she's like why didn't you take one of the escape pods he's like i'm a captain i gotta like stay down to make sure this all gets like taken care of which i was like okay so like he's a generally good guy he's at least like he could have escaped and didn't so that says something but yeah i it is grasping at straws after a certain point it can only tell us so much when it's one line that's true, right. but he, he definitely does. As an actor, though, I think like with what little he gets, he brings like a gravitas to it. Like he he elevates the role above to what it's above what it was written. I thought. No, yeah, their yeah, back and forth is their back and forth is really good. One thing I liked about this movie is that they uh, very consciously avoided the like you're in a horror movie now, so you have to make stupid decisions thing. Uh, they talk out, like, all of their plans. They, uh, at one point, uh, Kristen Stewart just, like, point blank is like, can you just admit that we, we'll probably die doing this? And he's like, yeah, we probably will, but can you admit that we could live if we try it too? And it's just like, yeah, it, it really just comes down to that. Like, some, you're, you're, you're in a life or death situation, and all of your options have some chance of you failing. So what do you want to do? Uh, so I really I like I'd like that as a way to uh, avoid the trope. I like that as well. And I, I it was really refreshing to to see a movie where the white people weren't like, let's just split up and investigate. <laughs> Can um, you imagine if they were just like, let's just let's just split up in the ocean. Let's just let's just take different directions of the Marianas Trench and see where that takes us. And I don't know if you guys got this vibe, but I got this vibe, too. I felt like there was a less danger in the meg versus underwater i don't know it's if it's because that that space that station was like super high tech and like tricked out or what but the the station in the meg seemed older and more lived in and more fragile and i really felt like they were just like one window crack away from imminent <laughs> like it's like you don't even have to worry about those creatures because when the air pressure um escapes um, you're all dead anyway. Um, I just felt so much more um, trepidation watching underwater because it, it seemed like anything could kill these people. Anything in the station, anything outside the station could kill them. And the, sh- and the movie like put in the work uh, to like show you just how many dangers there were. With the Meg, it's like, we got like one scene where like the downed uh, craft at the beginning that brings Jason Statham in. Uh, they're just like in there. It's the dude from Heroes, uh, the Swedish dude, and uh, Statham's ex-wife. And like the the stakes there are that it's like cold. They're just they're just a little cold. And then they find a way to turn on the heat. And I'm just like, well, this doesn't this doesn't feel like anything. I don't I'm not scared for you. This is so early in the movie, and Statham's on his way. 
Right, right. And I mean, the monsters in Underwater were interesting because they're terrifying. I wouldn't be surprised if there was something like that beneath several layers of ocean floor. Um, I do think that the Megalodon is scarier. However, I felt like the crew in Underwater was in more immediate danger, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's also just that, like vaguely supernatural thing to the to the um, main monster in underwater that the meg yes. you know because like yeah, I think because it, it seems it seems really like sentient and hyper intelligent like there's like a hive mind behind it right well it's also like they're saying like the, like the water all around them is 10 degrees warmer which is you 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 kind of take it for granted. okay 10 degrees warmer that's probably not that warm but it's like to generate that much heat that like far down in the ocean and make the temperature go up 10 degrees like that's crazy like that thing must be like a nuclear reactor itself yeah yeah that's 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 intense and that's like terrifying to think about in and of itself and i mean it's just huge and that that main monster kind of had i feel like a humanoid body oh the big one yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it had like a humanoid body i felt yeah. So yeah. So like the big the big monster. I suppose we should clarify that there's there's two kinds of monsters in underwater. There's the the clingers, which are these smaller, kind of almost more humanoid shaped. They're they're also humanoid, but they're like um they're smaller and they're um they're the more hive mindy ones. And then there's the giant one, the behemoth is what it's called in the movie or not in the movie, but what the director calls it. That is it's it's Lovecraftian. It's basically Cthulhu. Um and that's what it's modeled after. So it, so picture or Google Cthulhu. I guess you could just Google underwater behemoth and you'd see it. But yeah, that's kind of the that's kind of the image you get from that giant giant uh ending monster and i i'm with you i definitely i definitely think that there's definitely there's got to be some sort of intelligence there like it's if it, if it is lovecraftian it's supposed to be like an old god type thing so it's way more powerful and way more um apathetic of humanity than we might think but uh i i don't i, I might disagree with you guys i found these scarier like the mega is conceptually scary but maybe it was just the way it was portrayed but i like just these the way these creatures would kind of like come at you the like the clingers mm-hmm. I, it freaked yeah. me it freaked me out i and yeah, underwater stuff scares me as is the thing. yeah, yeah. <laughs> same much more than the big thing the big thing was like when i was like okay we're going all in on this like uh kaiju thing i was like okay this is this is what we're doing but like the clingers i'm still like claustrophobic terrifying that's what i like about the clingers too is that um and this is probably part of the what uh made like uh the tension in the meg field just subjective uh is that the Meg, like, if it comes at you, like, there were so many times when I was just like, why isn't it just eating them in one bite? It absolutely could. Like, it could eat all of them in one bite and just keep it moving. But it just keeps, like, running away or something to keep the movie going. Uh, versus, like, the uh, the behemoth in Underwater, it's got the cleaners to give them a consistent, realistic threat. But also something that, like, conceivably they can get away from or even fight if it comes to it which they do a couple of times and it just makes it exciting and the whole time you're not wondering why the big monster doesn't just eat them because he's sending his little guys out there to try and take them down or slow them down originally the original design of the clingers instead of what we got were actually meant to be more like squids and the original design of the behemoth was a giant crab monster nice that, i think i would have yeah. liked to see the sense. crab monster i think maybe that's why the clinger scared me so much because you know like i said i'm it terrifies me more the idea that something could exist which is why the meg scared me so much um but i'm afraid of things that creep and crawl 
So, and I've always found squid and octopi much, much more scary than sharks. Hmm. So that might have been more scary for you, huh? Listen, I just feel like there should be a limit on how many arms something is allowed to have. <laughs> uh, yeah, what's my your, wife what's your number, Nikki would what's say the same number? thing. Definitely two. <laughs> Definitely two. <laughs> like, um, I'm just not with it. I'm, I mean, and it's fine with spiders because even the biggest spider is not as big as a person. But I've seen some of these uh, squid and octopi, and they're enormous. They're enormous. Gi- I've seen giant them take squids, down. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen them take down sharks. That wasn't a sci-fi movie. That was a National Geographic special. <laughs> so that's why I, I the clingers are just not it for me. The behemoth was like huge and mysterious and this reverent ocean deity kind of way, but he just did not scare me the way the clingers did. Yeah, like it. Yeah, it's it, it, the tone. The tone kind of shifts when the behemoth shows up. It's 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 kind of it, it's cool. I, I think it's really cool, but I was much less scared in terms right. of like being scared in the horror movie sense. Do you guys think right. that the Meg would have been cooler if it was like more of a period piece? Like, I'm thinking like if they did like something where it was like, I mean, it could be like Pirates of the Caribbean time, and it's like a, it could still be like a research vessel or whatever you want to call it that's like sailing the seas, and then like Jason Statham's just like a swashbuckling pirate that gets like caught up in like the the mega megalodon of it all, and like has to end up saving them. I feel like. Whereas all of the technology and stuff like that uh, in Underwater was, like, a really big part of the narrative and a big reason for, like, at the end when they blow up the station, like, you needed the technology for the movie to work the way it did. I don't know that the technology really helped in the Meg other than to just give him, like, a cool little spaceship at the end to kill the Meg with, which didn't do it for me. Like, it just wasn't as exciting as it could have been. So, like, I'm wondering if, like, if they just set it in a time period where, like, they only have like so many resources and have to get crafty. I think it would have made the movie a lot more like engaging. I think it would have been more memorable of a movie. Like it might have stood out more than like kind of just another like sort of high tech action action thriller almost. Right, yeah. right. Uh, yeah. I mean, if we make like the Meg X Gulliver's Travels, I think that would be a cool movie. That would be so dope. I would watch that, yeah. I wanted to like I think we all mentioned at some point that that uh, underwater is like very alien esque like the, the the 1979 movie. Um, one of the things that I I really liked um, there was definitely a couple scenes that were like directly uh, referencing Alien. Like there's the moment where they bring in the tiny clinger that's still I guess I don't know like a baby or hasn't developed or whatever and kind of jumps at him. But they they like change it up and they kill it right away, which was smart and kind of cool to see. But there was another scene. When uh, Kristen Stewart and Jessica Henwick's character are like walking into a new base and like a bunch of the clingers are just kind of hanging, sleeping, and they have to try to silently avoid them. But one of them wakes mm. up and like swallows Kristen Stewart whole, and I and she bursts out of its chest it's like a reverse chest burster. And I I thought that mm. scene was that scene was just kind of really fun. I like that scene. Those are my oh, favorite yeah. scenes, actually, yeah. for the exact reasons you said, because I was a big fan of Alien. I saw the first one when I was six, when I was, I really had no business watching that movie. <laughs> it's, I think same. I think same. Scary. Yeah. <laughs> it still terrifies me. But um, that original scene where they bring it on board and Ripley says, get that thing off my ship. And they say no, literally um, is the foundation of that movie and all the movies to come. Right. 
mm-hmm. fact that they just right. wouldn't do what she said. Um, in this movie, they did the right thing. And it was very clear that whatever came next, these people were going to fight it as a team. And I think that's what made up for the fact that they hadn't established these relationships previously, because we knew that whatever came next, like these people were very clear on what needed to be done. So I like, I could root for them as a team. I did love that. I loved that there was no uh, human antagonist among the group because sometimes uh, like if it's like a network or if it's a studio note or if it's just a director, like somebody gets cold feet and they think that it's not enough to just have this monster that you can't really ascribe characteristics to. Like it's not enough to just have that be the antagonist. You got to have like one human who, despite the fact that all of their interests should be the same as in like vis-a-vis surviving, uh, they somehow still manage to like have a personal grudge against like the the primary hero or something, you know? So I, I, I personally appreciated that like from jump, it was just, we need to get out of here. We need to work together. Right, right. And I love that. Like, I wish there's so many movies that I've seen where there's like a human antagonist and I feel like it's wholly unnecessary. Yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah. it never makes sense. Like, why would you be that guy at that time? Yeah. Right. I love the crew for, from Underwater for that reason. I was just like, you know, thank you for having common sense. We just, we love it. <laughs> we don't see it enough. <laughs> the characters were strong. Like, the character work was surprisingly strong, I think, in general. Like, despite not having a lot of background beforehand, like, they, they did a good job with it. like and maybe it was the actors and probably the writing too but they did a good job like like having like feeling like feeling those relationships were real like and i really liked i really liked a lot like the like uh kristen stewart's character i really like jessica henwick's character she's she's great she's been showing up in a lot of stuff that we've been doing she was in love and monsters too um i was really i was impressed with a lot of that stuff it's it's a it's a good movie yeah right no, it, was, oh, yeah. it was really good yeah I thought it was really good. Um, like I said, I would have I would have probably just taken away 15 minutes in the middle and added maybe 10 minutes in the beginning where we kind of get to see these characters bond somewhat. Yeah. Um, yeah even a little bit of tension would have been good. Um, tension that obviously they resolve and bury the hatchet once the threat presents itself. Right. Yeah. The, the movie, this movie just ju- like head first like right away into the action like there's there's no exposition other than like newspaper clippings i think in the in the end pretty much like there's also newspaper clippings in the beginning is there too yeah Yeah. i mean yeah it's that's that's pretty much all the exposition you get which is it's good it's cheeky and it also does a good job of underscoring why exposition doesn't matter most of the time uh if this if the uh actual action unfolding is good yeah. Right. Um. I mean, we don't really, we still don't really know why they were down there, but the newspaper clippings, like showing that, basically, uh, the two that survived were 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 slandered, um, by the media as being crazy. Um, when they when they, you know they reported what had happened to them down there, I feel like it's just so spot on, and probably the most realistic thing in the whole movie, because I feel <laughs> like that's exactly what they would do. Yeah, and like the company or whatever they worked for wouldn't allow them to speak to anybody after a while. So like, and they just started rebuilding the base to go do I don't know oil or whatever they're doing down there. Mm-hmm. I mean, in their yeah. defense, like she blew the thing up. Like, wait, why not go back down? You know? Did I mean, she? I Did she? I watched it again, man. That thing was sucked into the explosion, and if they try to stay in the next movie that it somehow survived it, I would be annoyed because. That is a clear-cut death, like, from what I saw. Khalid, Russian doll. There's more. Right. Remember what we learned from the Meg. Just because you saw one behemoth doesn't mean that's the only behemoth. Yeah, there's probably plenty more. 
plenty more and behemoths where that one came from. Probably millions of those things because they look like yeah. they reproduce like rabbits. There, there's a there's a whole franchise waiting to happen here. I'd watch right, more. Right. I'd watch more of it, especially yeah. now that uh, spoiler alert: T.J. Miller's dead in the movie. <laughs> right. And yeah. I just feel like you know, even if they had just let let Kristen Stewart finish brushing her teeth, <laughs> she finished brushing her teeth. Um, they really jumped head first, and I I, I kind of like it. I kind of hate it. Um, she needed to rinse. Right, right. I mean, maybe there was. I think the toothbrush was still in her mouth when she realized. She's using like, but she's using like a charcoal toothbrush or something, because like it's like black in like a weird way, like a stained black. Charcoal toothpaste actually really good. Is it? Yeah. Well, I think that's what they were using, probably to make it look a little more futuristic. Maybe. I haven't used charcoal toothpaste, but like, I'm good on it. I stopped using fluoride like five years ago because I wanted to decalcify my pineal gland. I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> but but maybe I should just replace it with uh with uh with with charcoal and you know like it's nature's crust, right? Nature's right. crust. Nature's crust. Like it just sounds like something that would be sold at Whole Foods. I would never buy. It's like the best advertisement for it. Nature's crust. I should come up with a slogan. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um. But yeah, I I think Underwater was a great movie. I thought the clingers were super scary. The Behemoth, honestly, I think did more harm than good to the movie. Like mm. the more I think about it, the more I just feel like the the Behemoth was wholly unnecessary because it took us out of that that sense of urgency and fear and grounded in realism, and it took me into like, oh okay, so this is not just sci-fi. It's like supernatural now. Yeah. I I think so. I think. Uh, the director kind of and this is this is like a, a to its credit but also like you said a drawback like the director had like a lot of creative control over what uh what he did what the creature was because like, so his director william eubank kind of said the earlier creature designs like i said were more crab-like um but he's getting feedback that uh from people that he was showing it to that just didn't feel scary enough and he actually had a conversation with um uh, the director of it uh andy muschetti i think is you pronounce it i'm not sure but he he was the one who said like you got you to gotta do something different. This this giant crab is, is just not cutting it. So he kind of just kept drawing and drawing and drawing and then eventually just realized that he was drawing more and more close to like a Lovecraft entity. He's just like, kind of like, screw it, I'm just going to do that. I agree that I think, like, it, it might have been interesting to see his interpretation of like uh, a kaiju crab, but <laughs> it, it, I think like as much as you say the behemoth took you out of it and made it supernatural, a giant crab would have been like, Beyond the pale, I think. Been, uh, it just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it just, I, I, I would, I would have laughed. I would definitely laugh if like they, that's the thing that's been giving them all this trouble. I mean, you know what? I just want to. Sometimes you can, you just, all you need to do is go bigger. You gave us those clingers. We got the little baby clinger. We had the little adolescent clingers. Give us some adult clingers. Give us a clinger the size of the space station. Really put me on my toes. Yeah, some other stages of Clinger, Clinger life, Clinger biology. We could we could use more of that. Right. Well, hopefully right. they uh hopefully they elaborate on that. Yeah, I don't know if they will though. I don't think this movie was a success, unfortunately. I recently right. watched uh, Blade Two, and uh, that reminded me of the monsters too. The way their mouths open. Mm. Oh, like that's the, a great point. Like Give super vampires. Yeah, right. that was cool. I'd like to see Guillermo del Toro's take on this movie if he was able to do a sequel. I, that's the only thing I like about B- the Blade franchise, honestly, is how the vampires' mouths open. Oh man, like I—if you haven't seen those movies in a while, rewatch them. Like he's 
Wesley Snipes is having so much fun with the character. Like, he, the guy cracks. <laughs> like, I, I only remember Blade as, like, this super serious guy with a sword that just, like, mows everybody down. But, like, he cracks way more jokes than you'd think. Also, to bring everything full circle, uh, Ryan Reynolds in the third one, right? Yeah, he is. Uh, the the worst one. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe not entirely his fault, but uh, I think... I think these movies work better if, like, you don't have an out-and-out comic actor in, the, in there. Because, like, everybody that was, like, in the other movies, it was, like, Norman Reedus and stuff cracking jokes. So it's still just, like, this gruff person being funny. Right. So a couple questions for you guys to kind of segue a little bit to the the next, I guess, part of our double feature discussion. Do you Would you guys think that these two movies work as a double feature in terms of like theme or tone or vibe that like we, i think we've talked about they're super different but do you think like could you set this up like with a group of friends and be like double feature underwater in the meg let's go i would honestly do like alien and underwater like there's a reason we keep drawing back to it i think that yeah. they're, like the illusions of parallels although that might just be watching the same movie twice more or less um mm. i don't know i don't i don't know that the meg does anything to like even further your insight into underwater except making you wish you were watching underwater (laughs) right right yeah um i think they would do well as a double feature um like if the theme is ocean but you're not specifically looking for the same genre and i don't think these movies are the same genre um then i think they'd be a good double feature but you'd have to start with underwater and end with the meg because i feel like the meg just ends on a much more cheerful note than underwater mm-hmm. and it's a much less serious in tone movie like the energy the vibes are just so different <laughs> with the meg you can watch that movie and not it's not thought provoking it's not depressing it's not morose in any way so that's the one you want to end on you want to end with the meg you want to end on a high note yeah i think i think i'm with you on that i think uh so the interesting thing for these two movies i think i don't know if i no well, i'm gonna go with yes i think they'll work um the the one thing that they sort of have going for both of them is they're both they both have mariana mariana trench elements and they're both uh kind of center around the fact that there's an idea that we're we as humans are kind of knocking on on the door that we shouldn't really be at at this moment or we're going to unleash something that we can't quite handle i think that's sort of the message of both of them even though the meg shows that that we can handle them ultimately because they kill it but uh it's like something something bigger than we'd anticipate is is down there something different and and I, i i'm just so interested um because there's so little of the ocean that's really explored. I'm so interested in seeing that explored in movies and how different, how that can be interpreted differently. Cause the Mariana trench is, is super mysterious and kind of terrifying. Like there's, it's actually kind of realistic that giant things would be down there. Like there are like single celled organisms that are way bigger than single celled organisms. We can we know normally to be, um, yeah, like sea sponges are just, magnitudes bigger than we than we would expect and like these things grow without light too so i i I don't know i just think it's fascinating i think they work together and i think that's kind of an interesting recurring theme between between the two of them even though like other than that they both feel incredibly different right right they do feel very different like i said i feel like meg the meg just feels so much lighter 
Mm-hmm. than underwater underwater you're so much more attached to these people what's happening with them and the outcome because there's just that sense of urgency that the meg just really doesn't have the meg is a thriller it's mm-hmm. an action thriller and underwater is an action drama <laughs> yeah and like a little bit and more horror too it like leans into the horror more too I think so, yeah. Because like yeah. I said, you know, the the horror element is in the 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 fantasy element, right, of these creatures. The Meg is doesn't give us that that mm. feeling because sharks are very real, and this is just a really real big shark. I like um, that. I like the Lion King style ending with the Meg, where <laughs> uh, he gets defeated by Statham, and then. Uh, well, like, really, Statham just had the one move where, like, he, like, slices it open with the wing, and you're still not sure if that's gonna kill him, but, like, before the Meg can do anything, uh, all of the, like, littler sharks that have been getting pushed around by him just, like, smell the blood in the water and go for him so fast, and it's, like, the hyenas when they attack Scar at the end, uh, it was really cool. Ooh, great parallel. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I thought that was really, really cool. Um, well, in that movie also, like, I feel like the Meg, um, you know, like we were saying before, like, it really didn't know what it was trying to be, you know, kind of doing, uh, action, uh, horror, and it was kind of fell into comedic. So I thought the action sequences made up for the clunkiness of the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the action's really cool in the Meg. That's true. Mm-hmm. Like when he stabs the shark in the eye, that's pretty fun. Yeah, gosh. I mean, I I remember watching this movie, and I think after the first 40, 50 minutes, I was like, how long is it going to take for this thing to die? <laughs> like, can you start a fire underwater? Like, what's, what's, how, what are the physics what are you gonna of do? that? <laughs> and, they actually you know, did that. Um, they did that in SpongeBob once. They were like, they there's like some scene where Patrick and SpongeBob are in front of a campfire, like trying to stay warm. And all of a sudden, Patrick's like, hey, if we're underwater, how is this fire? And it just goes out. Kalina, right. have you been watching a lot of SpongeBob recently? You, Kalina no has usual. been talking a lot about SpongeBob in, in in different contexts lately. Sponge on the run, out on Paramount Plus, y'all. All right. Okay. Okay. Hold on. Before we, before we say, I, I just found this Xenophyophores. That's what I was trying to refer earlier. Those are single-celled organisms that are found in the Mariana Trench that measure in inches. Hmm. Isn't that wild? That's cool. Yeah. Sorry, I just wanted to say that. <laughs> well, I mean. Um, if you can be measured in inches, you can't sit with us. Yeah. If your single cell can be measured in inches, you can't sit with us. <laughs> yeah, you gotta let that thing be. Em's uh, uh, got, got a very exclusive lunch table. In the yeah, yeah, and you know what? You um, gotta have two not, arms and more than one cell. Yeah. Um. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if 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 that single cell is inches long, that's part of the 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 planet that we don't need to be in that's kind of the theme of those these two movies in a sense anyways speaking of single cells khalid um a creature that has multiple cells are is a bear do either of the monsters or any of the monsters here pass the four bears test okay so um you heard this the last time but basically the four bears test is uh my silly question of what would happen if you switched out the monster in question with four bears does it change the narrative blah 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 blah. um it's a it's a clear fail for both of these uh as as at least in regards to the behemoth and the the megalodon 
uh, just on scale. Um, and then there's also the other wrinkle of this all takes place in the ocean. So uh, I don't think bears are na- native to that or could go that deep without dying. Um, I guess in Underwater's case, if you wanted to give like bears the same kind of like sea walking suits that they had, uh, that could be scary. Uh, but I, I like maybe the the, uh, the the clingers. Like I feel like the clingers are comparable to bears, and roughly like the the threat that they face with the clingers at every uh, point is uh, equal to four bears. So like anything that happens, like say somehow. Four bears snuck onto the base, and then all the crazy stuff happened, and, like, the base is, like, crashing and stuff like that, and the bears got loose. I think in the base, it could pose the same threat as the clingers when they attack in the base. Uh, so it's a it's a pseudo-pass in, under, in underwater uh, if you have, like, a bunch of very specific weird stuff happen to get to that point. And then it's a just hard fail in the meg because... Uh, that it, it's just a scope thing. Uh, there after after a certain point, you can't. You, you just it, it doesn't it doesn't translate. It wouldn't be the same story. So yeah, I guess kind of pass for underwater fail for the Meg is my answer. What about you guys? Um. So when you say four bears, my mind automatically assumed that since these movies were aquatic themed, that these were aquatic bears. <laughs> I terrifying think... thought. Yeah, bears who can swim, um, you know, several leagues under the sea are <laughs> terrifying, quite terrifying. Um, yeah. However, I do think the that both movies, um, the both of the creatures, uh, uh, is it pass or fail? Because I think that the clingers and the megalodon could kick four bears' ass. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be a fail. Uh, <laughs> right. Okay, so uh, a fail. <laughs> I, think, I think four bears could take on, like, let's say, because, like, a bear is still, would you guys say a bear is bigger than one clinger? Or are they the same size? Uh, right, but then there's, like, hundreds of them. I think the right, clinger no, was, yeah. the the bigger clinger might have, might, I don't know, maybe comparable. I think comparable. Yeah. So let's if say they're, they're both four, in their hind legs. If you got four clingers versus four bears, I'm going to say, like, at least one of the bears survives and, like, like really just jacks up the clingers. I think I think that would happen because like yeah, bear, there's a reason I use bears and not like some other large animal. Yeah. Right, right. Um, I know. I, I I do think that the all those little clingers could definitely take on four bears. Like I said, I don't trust things that creep and crawl. Squid and octopi are not my cup of tea. Um, and as for the megalodon, I mean your average shark, um. I don't know if the average shark is smarter than a bear, but I do know that literally all a shark does its entire life is sleep and hunt. So when that's like your only instinct, you get really good at it. I mean, sharks are the assassins of the ocean. That's true. That's true. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's just based on location alone. Like, even if it is a bear that can swim, they're kind of like less prepared than these animals that are just strictly water-based right 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 um yeah i think they would like completely demolish those four bears Um, (laughs) well you gotta think about it in like the bears replace the monsters so would the humans have an easier time dealing with four bears 
either way, I'm just so glad that, you know, when I walk outside, my feet touch the soil or concrete. <laughs> um, I'm just so glad that, like, I don't, if I need to leave the vicinity, I don't have to prepare to leave because, like, my oxygen isn't being regulated correctly or the water pressure might kill me. It's so nice to have these luxuries. <laughs> it's a great feeling. I opened a window earlier. Like, can't do that. Can't do that over there. <laughs> right, right, exactly. I, I'm not afraid to crack open a window or open a door. I'm not afraid that like my head's gonna pop like a cherry tomato. It's great up here. It's great. I don't know what you guys are doing down there, but it's not worth it. Like it's probably war related, so definitely not worth it. <laughs> Come I back assume they were drinking. I assume they were like drilling for oil or something. I think mm. that's what one of the newspaper clippings said. Yeah, and underwater, yeah. I think it was an oil thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like we said, war related because what yeah. else do you need all that oil for? We got right. oil. We have Industrial oil in complex. We have oil in Iran. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You need to go underwater for it. Um, that the, the the whole premise of how these people died to kind of kills me when you read those clippings. They died for this oil, and then the people that survived were completely slandered and called crazy, and they probably will never work in that field again. Um, their reputations have been probably ruined at this point. Yeah, but like you said, the most realistic part. The most realistic part. And I think that's yeah. that's just what makes it like a better movie. Because everything that happens and you see like it was for naught because people who didn't have that experience um um you know are just up to their regular old shenanigans. You know, in the Meg, Jason Satham's character is probably gonna be lauded as a hero. Mm-hmm. I mean, rightfully so. He single handedly took down the Meg. Khalid, would you, um, which of these creatures would you most want to fight if you had the chance to choose? And which one would you most want to flirt? I'm switching it up on you a little bit here. Um, interesting. Okay. Uh, I would fight the Meg because it seems like when they don't have their heads up their ass, it's a straightforward kill. Uh, like they demonstrated with the first Meg where it's like you get one person as bait and you, like, distract the Meg with that, and it tries to, like, get through the plexiglass cage, and, you, you know, just knock a little poison in their mouth, and that seems to do it. That takes care of it. That's, you know, like, I would never be, like, a shark or whale hunter, but it, it's it's a proven, like, thing you can do as a human, and uh, they do it with, like, outsized creatures all the time. So I would fight the Meg, and then... Um, yeah, with the uh, with, with the behemoth, yeah, of course I'm gonna flirt with it. Like like I mentioned already, it's it's warmer near the the monster. <laughs> like I like to be, uh, when I find a when I find a partner or a mate, like I love to just I, I like when they're warm. It's uh it's comforting. Uh, so there it's got that going for it. It's got all the little homies I can hang out with. You know, I don't always have to spend all my time with the behemoth. I can kick it with the clingers. Um, and yeah, it just seems like because of how big the behemoth was, it could have really just like annihilated all of those people anytime it wanted to. And that tells me that the reason it didn't is because it was looking for a friend, you know, it was looking for somebody to relate to, chop it up with. And it feels like all of the clingers are probably more like yes men, uh, not as fulfilling, whereas like I could really like stimulate it with engagement. So as long as I got me a little like spacesuit, you know, I can like recharge it every once in a while. I'm flirting with that thing. I'm I'm gonna make it work. You really thought this through. 
really did. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I think way harder on these questions than I do like important things in my day to day life. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, good. I mean, good answer though. Thorough. I liked it. I mean, that's your big homework for these podcasts. So. A plus. Yeah, yeah. Joe does the Joe does the actual like grunt work of like telling us interesting things <laughs> about it, and then I'm just like, what if I smooched it? <laughs> <laughs> what about Jason Statham, Khalid? Fight or flirt? <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. You saw him shirtless. Like we're we're all powerless to a shirtless Statham. The man was an Olympian, for God's sake. Yeah, I gotta agree with you there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a it's a decisive flirt with with <laughs> Decisive flirt. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, um, I think for me, I would want to fight the Meg because I think that's it, it's despite how big it is, there's like two of them, as opposed to hundreds of clingers plus the behemoth. Um, and the clingers are just more terrifying to me. If we could, I mean, I'd probably shit my pants with the Meg too. Like, I know my, I know my limitations, but still. Um, and as for flirt, um, I choose celibacy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, all right. <laughs> like, I choose yeah. myself. Because <laughs> just the thought of the clingers, literally, um, I can feel my hymen growing back. <laughs> is that too much for this podcast do we have uh, to edit no, that out i like it no let's keep it we're keeping uh, it yeah, yeah, yeah. that was a great answer for the yeah yes. we're not we're not flirting we are killing the mag and then, <laughs> and then racing back to shore that's what we're doing yes all right on that note <laughs> this was a good one i like i like double features we're gonna have to do more double features i think this works yeah it gives us a yeah. little more variation it's it's good yeah. All right. Our final segment of Frankenstein's podcast, and I think if you remember, is our what the fandom section where we just kind of share. It's like a counter to the geek card question. So like share something that you're just into, like at the moment, like a show, book, movie that you're reading or something like that, that you're uh, that you're into. So we'll just like quick, like quick one minute rundown, something you'd recommend to the listeners. And then we'll uh, we'll 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 do our send offs. So uh, I'll, we'll let you think since it uh, kind of sprung the question on you. But Cleed, what, what the fandom with you today? Okay, so I'm going to do two. We, we're doing two movies, so I'm going to do two What the Fandoms. All right. Uh, my first What the Fandom was from our first recording with them. Uh, it's going to be Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. Uh, it's uh, a new comedy uh, from, I think her name is Kathy Mumolo and uh, Kristen Wiig. They wrote it. Um, and they were half of the writing team for Bridesmaids. Like they've just been like friends and writing partners for years. And this movie rocks. Like it's it's got this uh, dumb and dumber energy to it, but like it really like carves out its own space. It's not trying to retread them. Like the characters are a little daffy at times, but they're not like out and out dumb like uh, the dumb and dumber characters. Uh, it's 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 very sharply written. The jokes just keep coming like it's it's a very like 30 rock sensibility of like the ratio is crazy high for how many like hilarious gags they go for uh and yeah man it's just definitely a contender for comedy of the year it's 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 such a strong movie i cannot recommend it enough if you're just looking for something that's outright silly but still like sharp this is definitely the movie for you so barb and star go to vista del mar that's my first recommendation and then my second recommendation a couple weeks ago 
uh, or however long ago when we released the episode, I, uh, w- I was recommending the Britney Spears documentary. Uh, so I have another documentary now to recommend that's focused on a modern-day singer. Uh, it's called uh, Billie Eilish, The World's a Little Blurry. It's available on Apple+. Plus. I don't know if it's available anywhere else. But um, I, I like this as a juxtaposition to the Britney Spears documentary because whereas that one is more of like a retrospective, like in hindsight, like there were a lot of people that were like just made a career out of ruining Britney Spears' life. Uh, this one is showing kind of... Uh, this newer artist, Billie Eilish, like I'm sure most of us know who she is by now, but uh, she's still relatively new. And it's just showing us like what uh, an artist with uh, an infrastructure that cares about her looks like, which uh, I didn't know I needed to see until I saw it. It's such a good documentary. Uh, it really uh, focuses on her home life. She still lives at home, which is cool, at least at the time of the documentary, with her parents and her brother, who is uh, a co-writer and like the a producer on a lot of her music. And uh, I, I'd always like been like, cool with Billie Eilish. I thought her music was cool, but I never stopped to really think about it. Like I was like, oh yeah, she's the the I'm the bad guy. She's that person. But I never really like went through her uh album or her work like that. So like the documentary does a good job of like showing her songwriting process. The lyrics are just like super like profound and like the way that she behaves and stuff like that. Like it really there's a lot of artists like Taylor Swift or Drake or something like that where you feel like an artificiality or like there's always like a third person that you're just not seeing that's like cultivating this image of the person and it doesn't feel as organic but like you can tell like the stuff she's saying she feels the stuff that she's trying to convey uh, she is very passionate about and she is a very for how young she is just a very clear-headed artist with a vision um, she wants like she tries to get a director to uh, direct her music video and she uh and by the end of it she's like next time i'm directing my own video and it, it didn't even seem like the guy did a bad job it gave her everything she asked for but it just wasn't on her terms as much as she wanted it to be and like i really admire that and i think that like based on the way that she doesn't like conform to uh conventional body ish uh body imagery for uh women and uh music and pop music specifically i think that's a good representation for girls out there uh really anybody out there not just girls and uh yeah her energy the way she dresses like all of it like it's just like a really cool pop culture for the 21st century or pop star for the 21st century so yeah check it out it's called Billie eilish the world's a little blurry Okay. Cool. All right, Khalid. All right. Um, I'll, I'll go next, and 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 challenge accepted, Khalid. I, I'll I'll give you I'll give you all, I'll give you all two. Um, nice. uh, real quick. So my my two uh, my first are two movies. I watched I recently watched um, the movie uh, Oblivion, and not the Tom Cruise one that you might be thinking of, but it's a it's a it's a movie from 1994 from uh, produced by Charles ba- Charles Band who. Went on to do um, found the Full Moon Pictures, which is famous for puppet the Puppet Master movies. So it's just the one of the wildest B movies that I've seen. It's super future, like some far off planet, but it's just the old west. Like there's cowboys, and there's like a Native American character, and but then there's aliens. There's a bunch of aliens um, who are come. It's just like an old west style story of an aliens trying to kill the sheriff. There's but there's lasers. There's cyborgs. There's giant. Uh, scorpion monsters that rip somebody in half at one point. Like it's, it does, it has no clue what tone it wants. Like absolutely no clue what tone it wants, but it's, it's fun. And it's, um, 
it's got a bunch of like recognizable B movie stars in it. Like actually George Takei is in it. He plays like a alcoholic doctor who just like makes Star Trek puns the whole time. Ridiculous, completely ridiculous, but a, but a whole lot of fun. Um, that's one recommendation. If you want something silly, if you want something like, like really like true, like real good, I'm going to recommend, uh, we just watched, um, the 40 year old version from, uh, uh, Rada, Rada blank, um, who is a, a play playwright and rapper and she's sort of like a semi-autobiographical movie and she wrote it came out this on 2020 in netflix really really good very funny very endearing very heartwarming very cool in a lot of ways the way it's shot is really fun it's all in black and white um but she's just kind of about her um struggling to to kind of bring her voice to like the place like the, the theater scene and then kind of falling back in love with with rapping at age 40 and what that's like. And, and she also teaches and her students are great characters. It's just a super fun movie. Um, really a kind of a breath of fresh air for me having watched a lot of different and weird things. And I, it just, it surprised me in the best kind of way. And uh, I think you watched it too, Khalid, this, but it, it's really good. Yeah. So. I just watched it today based on your recommendation. I still have 30 minutes left. I took a little <laughs> nap before this, uh, but I'm going to go back and finish it when we're done talking. Yeah, it's really it's good. good. It's good. Well, I like it too. I, I second everything Joe said so far. That's what I've seen so far. It's a really funny, heartwarming story. And I love that she's uh, an older woman trying to get into rap, but that's never really the joke that, uh, like, as many jokes as this uh, movie gives, like, it's it's never the jokes on her for trying that. Yeah, she's actually, she's really good. Yeah, she's good. Yeah. How about you, Em? What would you recommend to our, to our, our peeps? Our peeps. I'm not going to say that again. I am not as hip and trendy as you guys. I don't like I said earlier, I don't like I don't really keep up with trends. Um I did watch Barb and Star go to Vistel Del Mar when uh Khaled uh recommended it on that last episode and I love it. I think it's one of the funniest movies I've seen in a couple of years, actually. Yay! Um but my recommendations would be um old standard you like you i can't get enough of this show um bob's burgers i think it's such Mm. just a good relaxing show it's been on for 11 seasons for a reason it's sweet it's touching it's funny it's heartwarming all without being uh mentally draining or demanding perfect show um, if you want something that's a little bit more engaging and you actually do want your heartstrings to be tugged somewhat, I would recommend Anne with an E on Netflix. Um, beautiful show. And it's based on the series Anne of Green Gables by Lucy Maud Montgomery. It had an original miniseries back in 1985 starring Megan Follows. And like this is like the reboot. I actually think it's a little bit better in a lot of ways because it takes us into what Anne's life was like prior to coming to living with um, Matthew and Marilla Cuthbert back when she was a ward of the state and she was living in group homes or she had previous foster parents. I just think it's a great show. And I think my last recommendation for a movie would be um, Hamlet 2. That's one of my comfort movies. It's just funny. It's funny every single time. It's funny and it's offensive in a way that doesn't target any specific group of people. Um, and I think that's very, very hard to do and something that nobody really tries to do anymore. People try to be offensive to particular groups instead of just giving us a material that's provocative. And this movie definitely 
treads that line well. I mean, it's called Hamlet too, and everybody knows that all the main characters died in Hamlet. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, the, t- the title alone is really provocative because it's like, how do you do a sequel of a movie where everyone died? Um, but it's about a um, a high school theater teacher who, um, you know, his 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 career as an actor is basically a failure. His wife has been cheating on him and she's pregnant by another guy and she's leaving him and really has nothing to live for. So he pours his heart into uh, a musical that he's written that's very, very loosely based off (laughs) Shakespeare's tragedy, Hamlet. And it it kind of it kind of takes on a life of its own. And when uh, the local townspeople and local news find out what the 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 show is about and some of the themes in the show they start protesting it before it even premieres which of course gets everybody hype and has them selling lots of tickets and so he puts everything into the show um to try to 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 bring back some of his dignity and some of his pride and some of his love of acting. And it's kind of cool too, because low key, this gives you like a dangerous minds freedom writers element because um, he's helping these kids also develop their creativity and develop their passion. But it it kind of stops just short of white saviorism because um, the movie is based, it is largely about his growth as a person as opposed to his students. Yeah, I remember watching that years ago. I got to revisit it, though. I just remember Same. the main joke that everyone died in the first Hamlet. So it's funny <laughs> that it's Hamlet, too. Yeah. Right. Right. And I mean, when you have a song like Rock Me Sexy Jesus, you know it's a hit. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Put that on repeat. Yeah, right. yeah, that's a good one. I, I I used to I've watched that movie for a while. I gotta rewatch that one too. It's a it's a it's a good point. Well, thanks thanks for those recommendations. Um, we uh before we wrap up, uh, what uh what where should people find you? What do you wanna what do you wanna plug from your own personal personal stuff? Well, um, if you are interested in life coaching, specifically in the areas of you know healing from um you know uh negative behaviors, toxic patterns developed because of childhood trauma, or um, you want to get better in areas of time management, um, establishing standards and boundaries, um, or anything of that nature, you can find me at restorativeclarity.com or mymentor.life forward slash Emeline Mousseau. And of course, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at please leave a message. And if you like to hear more of my voice in a non-professional capacity, you can always listen to my podcast that I'm a co-host of. Me and my friend Alex uh, host a podcast, a TV and film podcast called The Good, The Bad, The Basic. And we're on SoundCloud and all um, podcast streaming apps, uh, Apple, Spotify, what have you. And we put out a new episode every Thursday. We're currently recording our strong female lead season. And our first episode of um, our recap of Sex in the City should go live this Thursday. Awesome. Nice. Yeah, second. Check that podcast out. I've listened to some of your episodes. I really enjoy it. It's good stuff. Um Em, thanks so much for being on the show with us. It was a blast to chat with you on our first double feature and actually chat twice with you because of the the uh, the, uh, the lost episode, as we're calling it now. 
But uh, those conversations were so fun. Yeah. I feel like that was God's will. This episode was better. I'm just saying. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I took a nap before this. I don't know if you heard me before, so I was like firing on all cylinders. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, I had a good dinner. Had some good really great dinner and dessert so i was ready you caught me right before the itis hit and this episode kind of forced me to stay awake (laughs) (laughs) the itis is real it's a real real thing before we uh before we truly close out um i promise this we promised this khalid and i did that if anyone were to drop us and leave us a five-star rating on the podcast places we would read the review and khalid we got one we got one. Yeah. Who's, so I'm gonna say. Mom? Is it yours or mine? I, I I don't know. It could be all of our moms. <laughs> but uh, I'm gonna shout out. So it's a it's a it's a review titled Frankenstein would be proud from Lukey in the window, and it goes a little something like this: Joe and Khalid are a blast to listen to. Every episode, I get some laughs and learn something new from the reflections on character, culture, and storytelling. I also really appreciate all the voices they include and the fun recurring segments. Check out this podcast if you haven't already. Thanks, Lukey. Thank you, Lukey. Yeah, that is super a great happy. review. Yeah, isn't that great? I love it. I'm, it, it. It warmed my heart. So, so I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, other than that, that's all I have for you. Check out and follow M on her socials. Check out her podcast. Come back next I'll time. I'll leave all the links for 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 Joe and and Khalid if you guys want to look me up. Yeah, we'll post all that in the show notes. So check check that out there. But yeah, Khalid, I'll leave it with you. Dope. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, I'm not sure what we're doing next. It'll probably involve a monster, just taking a guess. Uh, but check out the socials. We'll probably post about it whenever we figure out what we're doing. But until next time, creep it easy. Creep it easy.